Hello and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon here with my friend and Chavruta Yerdena Azband, our daf of the day, Masachet Kitubot, daf Ein Zion, page 77. So if page 76 was short, page 77 is quite long, and we had to do some picking and choosing what we're going to talk about. There are two Mishnah on this daf. I will begin with the first Mishnah. We're going to skip over the second Mishnah, but I'll let you know what goes on in there. And then we're looking forward to coming to some uh, I think dramatic and and potentially moving and exciting agarata at the, towards the end of the daf. So the first mishnah continues our discussion of blemishes. I eat, and I would say that turnabout is fair play. If we've been talking about how a husband can divorce the wife because of her blemishes, there is now the discussion of what happens for the wife if the husband develops blemishes. If a man had developed blemishes after the time of marriage, the court does not for force him. It does not require him to divorce his wife. However, says, this is in the case of minor blemishes. The, the Mishnah says, but for major blemishes, or rather, Rav Shimon ben Gamliel himself says explicitly, major blemishes, which, you know, the point is, we'll find out what those are later, um, the there would be a requirement to divorce her, meaning there's no, the bottom line is, there's no requirement for the wife to stay with somebody who has developed these major blemishes either. So the Gemara goes into some of what these blemishes are, including some graphic detail, which I in general like to skip over because I have this squeamishness thing, but also, the Mishnah, then the next Mishnah, gets into some you know specifics that some of which might be particular to different kinds of professions, where you know one is more likely to develop which kind of blemish, and you know the question is you know to what extent does she need to accept something, and to what extent can she say no enough? Right now, the Gemara goes on to say what kind of um, what kind of blemish are we talking about here? You know where what any of these things and. Each one of them gets its own discussion. And Yordana, you had mentioned yesterday that some of these don't even sound familiar, right? There is certainly discussion of boils. And we know, I mean, I hope nobody really knows, but there is the phenomenon of boils has not disappeared from the world. Let's put it that way. But they're not pleasant. And again, the question of, you know, delving into each of these details, we might have done that. Um, I might have left it for Yordana to delve into because of the squeamish factor. But we're going to instead shift over to... Um, the second part of the daf and leading into the agarata. So one of the, so, but the point here is again, that she can, she can dis- insist that she's going to walk away from some of these things. Um, okay. One of the particularly bad, um, I will say blemishes is the, they're the symptoms that are, that seem to emerge from a particular condition or a particular disease. Right. So we, ha- let me, tell you where where I am. I'm at the top, of, not even the top of Amabet. Um, it says, Tanya, I'm a Ribiosi. There's a whole discussion here on the break. I'm not going to read it all inside, where Ribiosi talks about uh, somebody from Jerusalem came, an elder from Jerusalem came and said there are 24 um, different people, patients, who all had boils. And they all seem to be connected somehow to sexual relations, or sexual relations will be harmful to them. And then there are the, the, those people who are afflicted with what's called ra'atan. Ra'atan, um, uh, and there's no ayin, right? It's 
Rat tan, reish ayin taf nun, which seems to be a severe skin disease, and it leads to weakness and to trembling, and it seems to be particularly debilitating. So the Gemara wants to know, how does one get this to begin with? And there's discussion about that. And then the Gemara says, well, what are the symptoms of this rat tan? And the Gemara says, well, dalfe enei, v'deve nechire, Meaning they've got the words to describe it, right? His eyes water, his nose runs, he's drooling, flies come to rest on him. And so then the Gemara says, well, what's the cure, right? How do you get rid of this? Um, and there seems to be this um, bug that is part of it, literally a physical bug, not a germ kind of bug. Amar Abaye, Pila, Valudana, Girda, Deguza, so Abai says, what you do is you take Pila and you take Lodana. Lodana might be Laudanum, which is associated, I think, with opium, right? Which are the different kinds of grasses or herbs, right? And then the ground shell of a nut, and there's certain shavings from hides, and Khalil uh, Malka is Artemisia. I don't know if I'm pronouncing these things right. And the calyx of a red date palm. And this is, I have got pictures here in my trusty handy-dandy Corin uh, Gamera, which is exactly why I like this um, edition publication so much, because these same things that we really wouldn't know what they are, we could, if we had more time, delve into more specifically, because the realia is presented here, and you cook them together, and you bring them bring them to the patient who's in quarantine, but like a pretty severe quarantine, because it seems to be quite contagious. And then the treatment is that you pour this on the head of the patient until until it seems to be literally, it seems to be a, a an issue to open up the person's skull to get to their brain to tear out this bug that is in there. Now, I'm not sure exactly what this means medically speaking, but there certainly was a concern about this illness and the idea that it left, you know, that it was indeed a blemish that could it was very serious. And then the Gemara goes on, and it's going to shift gears into where what we're primarily interested in today. Machriz Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yochanan announced. He said, be careful of the flies that were on the people who had ratan, meaning the, the flies themselves were going to be carriers of disease. This is, I would say, sophisticated awareness of, of health and, you know, how disease was transmitted. We take it as a given nowadays, but back in the day, I'm not sure when that kind of information was well known. Certainly not in the time of the Black Death, many years later, right? Rabbi Zeyre Lohavi Yativ Bazikai so and so then we have the the ways in which these different sages would be careful. Rebizera would not sit in a spot where the wind would be coming from from in the same direction that somebody had ratan that he doesn't want the contagion. Rebelazer wouldn't enter the tent of somebody who had ratan. Um So the first two, Rabbi Ami and Rabbi Asi would not eat the eggs from a place where someone with ratan lived. And in a real distinction here, Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi would sit down with the people who had ratan and learn Torah and say, He would learn Torah and say that the Torah is is loving, like a deer, an ayala, right? And um, a gazelle, I guess. And a graceful deer, again, yael, these are the different kinds of animals. Um, 
if it's going to give grace to those who learn it, won't it also protect me from the illness, protect one from illness, which is um, not scientifically proven, shall we say, but it certainly makes sense that at least somebody amongst the sages was going to take this kind of approach. So then the Gemara shifts into the position, the story of Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi. And Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi is on the verge of dying. And I'm going to turn it over to you, Yardina. He have a shafi, right? At this point where it says, He's on the verge of dying, and he's going to have a whole long uh, conversation with the Malachamavit, the angel of death. And I said to you, Dana, I feel like this is quite timely, God forbid, but in this time of Elo and um, moving up to Rosh Hashanah, it seems suitable that we're going to have Gemaras that are talking about uh, introspection, self-reflection, to the extent that, again, here's we've got, it's a little more dramatic than that, though, perhaps, than just sitting and, and mulling. On to you. All right, so just a couple of things before we move on to this. So who is Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi? So he's an Amora, he lives in Eretz Yisrael. Um, he's a contemporary of Rabbi Yochanan and Rish Lakish. And, um, you know, this is not the first story that we have where he encounters, first of all, the Melech HaMavet. And also we'll see there's an Eliyahu piece here, and there's a couple stories where he encounters Eliyahu also. So those of you who've been learning Daf Yomi with us from the beginning, there's a story in Brachot, on Dafnun Aleph Ahmed Aleph 51a, where he talks about the three things he learned from uh, the Melech HaMavet. So I would tell all of you to go. Um, and uh, well, the Melech HaMavet told him three things. Uh, so I would go and look at that there. Um, and also there's a series of stories uh, where he, um, uh, you know, he's often with Eliyahu Hanavi. Um, so there's a couple of stories like that as well. So, uh, so, you know, so around, uh, you'll see this again in the Gemara in some other, uh, Talmudic literature. Um, so now let's get to the actual, uh, to the actual story itself. Right. So, you know, so basically he's, uh, you know, we see that he's with, he suffers from this disease, um, exactly what it is. We're not totally sure. Right. The Melech HaMavet comes to him, right? Ki have shachi Melech zil right? You know, and so everybody tells him, they say, right, he's about to die. Now, who the they is who's talking to the Melech HaMavet is not made exactly clear, um, but they say, zil right? In other words, the Melech HaMavet, you should go do what Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi wants because he's a good person. Azal itchazile, so he goes to to ben Levi, Right. And so Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi says to him, show me where I'm going to be like in Gan Eden. I want to I want to get a preview before I actually commit to going basically uh, to the other side. He says, fine. says, okay. But he says to him, Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi says to him, give me your knife. Right. That you use to kill people. Right. Right. Right maybe you're going to scare me on the way. In other words, he doesn't totally trust him. He wants to check out first what's going to happen in Ghanaian. He doesn't want to be killed right away. Right? So he gives it to him. So, I mean, just think about what this story is saying. The Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi is so holy of a person and is such a righteous person that the Melech basically gives him like his sakin, his knife, which means that for a period of time that this story takes place, sort of death is suspended in the world die because he has the knife right when he gets there when he gets to you know the next world he shows it to him 
And what happened? Shabanava lahu gisa. Rabbi Yeshua jumps and falls to the other side, right? In other words, whatever he saw was so glorious, was so amazing. He basically is like, oh, he's like, I'm happy to go and I'm just going to go. So Nazi Bakarni de Gilme. So the angel of death grabs him, you know, by the corner of his cloak. Right? And Rabbi Yeshua bin Levi says to him, Bishuvata Dala Atme, right? He says to him, I swear I will not come with you, right? Amar Kedusha Brichu. So now Hashem gets involved and Hashem says, Right, ever in his life requested an oath to be dissolved, nahadir. Right, then he must return to the world with the melech hamavet because he needs to have this oath dissolved beforehand. Elo, but if he never did that, la nahadar. In a way, what's happening here is is that he actually, I, I think Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi has the opportunity to sort of avoid a traditional death. Right, like if he lived his life in such a way that he never said anything false ever in his life, right? He never has to have a vow be dissolved. He can go straight into the other world, right? Into paradise, Ganeidin, Olam Haba, whatever you want to call it. And he basically avoids a, a, a typical death altogether. The fact that God needs to ask it, shouldn't God already know that, right? Like that doesn't actually make sense, but it's more that like God is asking the Melchamavet to have to sort of figure this out. Amrlay, so the Malchamava says, Havli Sakme, right? So that he says, right, basically the idea is he never had to have a, a note dissolved. And so the Malchamava says, all right, at least just give me my knife back. At least allow me that I can go ahead and continue what my mission is. La Haveka Yahavle, right? But he did not give it to him because he doesn't want more people to die. So now what happens? Nafak Bat Kale. Right. So a backhoe comes out. So we've seen the backhoe many times and the backhoe essentially always intervenes when something is happening uh, that's not natural. Now, none of this story is natural, but even more so the idea that death would be suspended. But Amrale, and what does she say? Right. Have Nihile, give it to him. Right. Dematva Livrite. Right. Because it's necessary for created for creation, created buildings need to be killed. And then Eliyahu comes and also says, right? And so Eliyahu comes and basically says, make way for the son of Levi, of Levi, uh, a Levi, make son for the way of Levi. So again, we have to put this into a context of that there's many stories of him, um, you know, uh, with Eliyahu. So I, 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 the story is just amazing because it's like, first of all, how does the Gemara know this? Second of all, it's like every big character is here. You have Melchabavet, you have Hashem, you have a Bakol, you have Eliyahu. Like anything that we don't experience in our world all comes uh, to this actual story itself. Story gets even nuttier, right? Aziel, Rabbi Yehuda Levi goes in. Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai. And he sees the Tana, Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai. Zahave Yatibat Lata Aser Pizay, who's sitting on 13 golden stools. Um, Marley says to him, Atu Barleve. So Rishon Baruchai says to him, Are you the son of Levi? Amarlay, hey, and he says, Yes. Nirata Kesha Biamechai says, Did you ever see a rainbow in your life? Now, the idea being is that if there's a purely righteous person on earth, you'll never need a Kesha because God would never have destroyed the world if there was a purely righteous person. Amarlay, hey. So he said, Yes, meaning, uh, you know, he says there was. So he says, if so, you can't be the son of Bar Levi because 
you, what I've heard about you is you're a righteous person and there never should have been a Kesher. Right? And so the Gemara says, that if it was, it, that, that, and that it is not so, for there was actually no rainbow actually ever seen during his lifetime. Right? Rather, what was, uh, what, what was he thinking? Right? You don't want to take credit. You don't want to, like basically boast and present himself as a righteous person. So he said he did actually see one. I, I mean, this story we probably could spend an hour on and we don't have time, but uh, you know, and again, how does the Gemara know that this actually story took place? So I, I'm less interested in the history piece of it. I think these are interesting stories more because it, it's more the Gemara is trying to tell us something. I think about people who are righteous the power that they have in this world, that they basically can suspend the natural order of things, right? Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi could suspend death. Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi could suspend, uh, could suspend a, a rainbow appearing. In other words, how could it be a rainbow never appeared? And I actually think that's really what this story is talking about. It's the special power of the tzaddik, right? That the tzaddik is powerful over the righteousness when it's in this world almost defies the natural order of creation itself. And, that, and that's what the story is talking about. But again, we have to put it within the context of our, that there are other stories about him where he talks about that he met the Melchamabad, many stories of him with Eliyahu. Um, and then we get to another story here of Rabbi Hanina Bar Papa. So Rabbi Hanina Bar Papa is also in Amora. He also lives in Eretz Yisrael in the third and fourth centuries. Um, and... Um, uh, and, and again, we have a story about him with his death, which is similar, uh, uh, that again, he's about to die and, the angel, and you know, comes to him. Um, and again, he's told basically, you know, do what he wants to do. I'm not reading it inside just, just for the sake of time here. Um, and, you know, similar to Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi. And he basically says, leave me for 30 days so I can, uh, so I can, so I can learn. I want to like basically learn Torah again. For 30 days, he comes back after 30 days, the Melchamabed. Um, and he also says, similar to Rabbi Shuab and Levi, he says, I want to see where I'm going to be in the next world. Also ask for him to to give his knife to give his knife. And he basically says here at the end, right? Do you want to be like your friend? Obviously, referring to Rabbi Shuab and Levi. So this is a story that people knew about. And then he finally says to the Melchamabed, Amar Lei. Bring a Sefer Torah and see, is there anything he didn't do in the Torah itself? Because what he's basically asking for is he wants to enter the next world the same way Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi did alive, right? Remember, Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi doesn't actually die. He he enters it alive. Amarle, um, so he says to him, ki so again, we back, get back to, this is full circle why the story appears here. Did you attach yourself to, do, to, to those who were afflicted with Ratan and study Torah the same way that Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi did? And even so, right, the fact that he wasn't necessarily equal to Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi because he didn't do this, when he, when he passed away, a pillar of fire separated him from everybody else. 
right? And we learn, right? We learn in tradition that a pillar of fire separates only for one in a generation or two in a generation. And then what basically happens because this pillar of fire is around his body, they basically couldn't come and they could not, uh, they could not bury him, right? And so then basically there's a whole thing that the sages basically come to him first, Rabbi Alexandre, right? And they basically try to say to, you know, whatever Nishama's, you know, sort of there, do this in honor of the sages. The pillar still doesn't go away. Do it in honor of your father. And finally say, do it in front of your, uh, 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 of your own father. And Abai basically says the reason why this pillar appeared is so that people who were not worthy would not be allowed to accompany him on his, uh, on his final uh, journey and Rabbi Adar Brahmanana says it was that people who didn't have a guardrail for his roof. Um, he, you know, in a way, he's basically. I, I, I think he's in a way. The Gemara takes this as a rebuke. Rabbi Adar Brahmanana of, of Abaye, you know, sort of like, come on, nobody was basically as worthy of him, so you can't sort of create a category of one person who wasn't, uh, who wasn't, uh, 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 you know, uh, who, who wasn't, uh, you know, as equal to him. And then finally, we end with Amar Ravi Chanina, So now we have to basically explain why was there nobody with Ratan in Babel, right? And so the reason is because of their diet, they ate beets and they drank beer made from the Hizmi plant. Amar Ravi Yochanan says, Why are there no lepers in Babel? Again, because they also eat beets. They drink beer, parat, and they bathe in the waters of the Euphrates, which is good for the body. Very interesting way for this Gemara to end because we often see sort of this tension between what's better, Eretz Yisrael or Babel. And here you have Rabbi Yochanan, who is a Namora of Eretz Yisrael, sing some praises of Babel itself. So very, very interesting end to the parak. And again, I, I don't know that the point is about these being true stories, I really think what these stories are here to do is to talk about the power of the tzaddik. It's really to talk about the power of a righteous person who's on earth. And so with the story of Rabbi Yud, I, I think the point is to say that, you know, some of the natural order of the world is actually suspended through that power. And the story of Rabbi Hanina Bar Papa, right, particularly the piece about the burial is, is that there's something that separates us from them. Like we, they're not exactly with us. We are we are actually separate from them. And, and, and what does that mean to be separate? To give us permission to be with them. That's our tough discussion for the day. Thank you for joining us. Rank us, review us where you get your podcast. Come talk to us on our Facebook page and tell us what you think of this stuff. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. And until tomorrow, go and learn.